welcome. You've got mail. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of TechStream. This is the big famous 20th episode of TechStream. I'm your host, Seth Everett, the CEO of the Palmer Group with a brand new partnership to tell us about is the great Shelly Palmer. (laughs) Shelly, you and Verizon, can you hear me now? Oh, I can hear you now. Wow. Get it? it? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was cool. Um, Yeah, we have a brand new partnership with Verizon. We're very excited. Verizon bought a company called Blue Jeans a while ago. And Blue Jeans, for those of you who don't know, it's sort of like Zoom or Teams, right? It's a video chat clamp, but there's a special kind of Blue Jeans called Blue Jeans Events. Blue Jeans Events is cool. First of all, it's on the Verizon network. Secondly, you can put up to 150,000 attendees in a meeting and have them in an interactive environment. So you can have a, it's got a green room and there's production environment. You, you can have, have a, a virtual rock concert. Exactly. A whole bunch of people on stage. You can take people from the audience, bring them on stage. It's got, so anyway, um, we were talking to Verizon about various things and, you know, we do a lot of work from home tool sets. We've done a whole bunch of pitch rooms and huddle rooms for big corporations and uh, online meeting playbooks and ways to just do better uh, branding using online tools. And BlueJeans wants to sell premium production services uh, to their clients to help them do better jobs with Blue Jeans events. And so we partnered up and we are now offering a brand new service called Blue Jeans Premium Production Services powered by the Palmer Group. And so we've got all of our consulting producers and our line producers and technicians and artists and camera people available. Any size production could be a couple cameras to 50 cameras, could be three or four rooms going on at once or one room going on at once, or we could, you know, uh, it, you could be having a deep, equivalent of a you know 20 track trade show going on at once we, we've got the production capability to handle that and we've got people pretty much all over the continental united states and most of europe and a little bit of latam and some of asia pack so we've we put together a really large consortium of production people who i've been working with pretty much my whole career. And it was really exciting. It is a really exciting partnership. And we're very much looking forward to working with Verizon. Shameless plug, though. I know that's not what we want to talk about today, but thanks for bringing it up. We are super excited about it. No, it's it really one great. of the, it really it's one of the cool. coolest things. And uh, what was nice, we, we have done so much work from home and so many events that we normally do in person. We've had to be done online. Verizon is an incredible network. Uh, you could say a lot of things about your phones. You could say a lot of things about event software. Files alone. Yeah, this, I mean, they really have an incredible network infrastructure and so much of making an experience great is the network infrastructure. And then, you know, um, good attention paid to detail in production, which and production value. So we're trying to help our clients and their clients uh, look as good online as they do offline. And that's that's a really exciting part of this. I'm super sad that so many of the things that we were going to do live are now back to virtual as opposed to hybrid. We were hoping that everything would well, be both, of the state right? of the world. That, yeah. By the way, if you're listening to this in the future, do we ever get out of this? Shit, Let us know ever, at oh. TechStream on Twitter. I tell you what, do we ever get out of this for real? But um, hopefully... I mean, we built a lot of muscle over the last 18 months doing purely virtual. We were so hoping to do both hybrid, you know, online and in person. But now 
I think a lot of things are just going to be virtual again for a while. But either way, we are we are prepped to get it done and excited to announce this wonderful partnership with Verizon. Cool. So enough enough about me. How are you? <laughs> Everything is uh, copacetic. Uh, my masks have been fully washed and I'm wearing them all over the place. So yeah, uh, that's that's the way of the world today. Um, all right, there was some news recently that came out that was a little alarming. Mm -hmm. And not because I feel like I'm guilty of something, because if I was, I really wouldn't be talking about it on a podcast. <laughs> but uh, the report was that Apple is going to start scanning your iPhone for child pornography and other illegal imagery. And are, are you wor are you worried that you're you might well here's here here uh, okay you want you want to open the conversation this way yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I okay. Uh, find me an iPhone user that hasn't looked at porn. Find me someone who has not seen an image of something for a second mm -hmm. by accident. You mm -hmm. click on a thumbnail. You, you click. Oh, that's not what I was looking for. I didn't right. need to see a bear decapitated. You know, whatever, whatever it was, you see it. And yeah. I, I guess what the argument is, is if you told me that in my iPhone history, which is now more than 10 years that on some drunken night, I didn't click on something weird and it's in the cache of my phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I yes, I, that would alarm me. I don't want to hear about some image I downloaded in 2009 and suddenly now I am facing legal ramifications when in 2009, I wasn't doing anything nefarious. Okay, uh, you, see, I you see the argument. I, I do see the argument, and I fully agree with you. And that is part of the pushback. Now, there is a database in the universe called CSAM, Child Sexual Abuse Materials. And it's the kind of data, it's a database of, of things that are known to be illegal and bad for kids. And what they've done at Apple is they've put together, uh, not to get super technical, uh, a way to hash the data from for known CSAM or child sexual abuse materials files. So if they have a known instance of something that, that is n bad for kids, they have a way to hash that. And now they have a way to search it from its hashtag. Now, there are all kinds of things about that that make this hair on the back of my neck stand up. Um, sure, there's good stuff there, right? Because they could potentially help with the missing children and exploited children database. They could potentially, there's a lot of good of that could come from that. But there's also this craziness, if you will, that, you know, Apple is now capable of, well, they've always been capable, but now they're going to, in a, a very loud way make it clear that they will scan your system for things that are deemed uncool and that's not apple's brand right well other considering there was a, a murder investigation where they wouldn't unlock somebody's iphone remember that i do and they had their reasons for that i i don't know why well they were uh, saying they were protecting their users no matter who their user is, they're protecting their user. They don't want the code to unlock someone's iPhone, whether they're in prison or a terrorist or something. 
They didn't want that out there because they were worried about it getting copied. Think about it in a, in a different way, Seth. And we're going to get into this in a, in a fairly deep way. And by the way, I would encourage everyone who's listening to get into this. Go on Twitter at Shelley Palmer uh, or, or, or any hashtag you like and, and start talking about this. Because whether you're talking to me or you're talking to Seth or you're talking to uh, at TechStream, it, it doesn't matter. Talk about this. this is an, it's important to know what you think about it. Everybody's going to have their own different sort of take on what I'm about to say. If you want your bank account secure, if you want your email secure, if you want any level of personal security, there really can't be a backdoor. In other words, if we're going to end-to-end -end encrypt our bank account so that our financial transactions with our, the bank that we bank with are secure, there, there really can't be a way for someone to crack that. Um, not for a good reason, not for a bad reason, not for any reason, because once that's not secure, it's not secure. Now, right, we're not we can, talking about the nobility of this. Right. No, no, no. We're, uh, this is not a moral question. This is simply a technical question. Now, I bet you remember a company called BlackBerry. Remember them? Yes. Did you ever have one? Oh, this is like the ice crystals, uh, the, 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 the time crystals podcast did, all over again. Did, did you have a black? I never berry? had a blackberry. No, I had a really? palm pre, and I have a really funny palm pre story when you finish your point. So back in the day, the most secure email server on planet Earth was the BlackBerry Exchange server. There was nothing. The BlackBerry Enterprise server was the most secure email client in the world. Nothing was more secure. It was absolutely end-to-end -end encrypted. And anything you sent, anything I sent to you, Seth, on a BlackBerry, if you were getting it on a BlackBerry, the only person who could see that were you and me. And if the company you were working for had opted to be able to keep those records in a way that was visible to them, they could do it, but no one else could. So back in the day, and this goes back to 1011, the UAE, United Arab Emirates, said to BlackBerry, hey guys, you want to sell Blackberries in the UAE? We need a backdoor. Blackberries like, huh? And then all of the Middle Eastern countries in 2010 pretty much jumped on that bandwagon and Blackberry acquiesced. That was the end of Blackberry. That that single act of opening up their very secure email server ended any value that BlackBerry might have had over Microsoft or any other company that had an email server. They were no longer the most secure email server. They let foreign governments look at communication. And you know what? If you're doing business in a foreign territory and you're worried about corporate espionage or you're worried about any of that, that's the last thing you want to see happen, especially where other governments are not as respectful of intellectual property rights and the rule of law as uh, our government is supposed to be. I don't know what they are or not, but they're supposed to be. So end of the day, that level of security was problematic. It really hurt BlackBerry. And you can't imagine a world where someone can just get to your bank account. Like you wouldn't have one if someone could just get to your bank account. So there can't be a backdoor because any backdoor is copyable and any backdoor, like there's no such thing as securing the secret password like you do in the sci-fi movies. You know, where it's in like that, you know, palm print and, and retina scan and, you know, there's 13 doors and 
you know, climate controlled room with lasers that Tom Cruise can get through. And at the end, there's a little, you know, physical device that has 1900 characters on it. And those are the secret password. No, none of that's once this thing is out, it's done. There is no way to protect it. So they don't have it. The idea that Apple can scan, and by the way, they're not the only company to do it. Facebook is trying to do this too. They're trying to look at the hashes and they're trying to use AI now and say, well, I, I think I can tell what this is by having AI read the hashed um, file. Oh my goodness, Seth, if they can read the hashed file, you might as well just read the file. I mean, that's that. what's the point of encryption? What's the point of cryptography, right? The point of cryptography is so that only the person that the file is intended for and the and the author of the file can get to the contents. Mm -hmm. If anyone else can get to the contents, there's no point in cryptography. Might as well just send it out there as plain text. So I, I don't think Apple's gonna be on the right side of this, but I think a lot of the, the I think the government thinks they're on the right side of it. So yeah, it's it's quite problematic and it's very off brand for those guys. So, so wait a minute, we're talking about the governments in favor of letting devices search for pedophiles, but you can't find out if someone's vaccinated. Oh, well, why don't they yeah. call the app HIPAA? We're just kidding. Yeah. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like so many of these, <laughs> Apple won't see the image right it's not that they're scanning the image they're scanning for the hashtag of the image so i think they're calling it neural hash and it analyzes known csam images and then it converts them to a unique number that's specific to each image and if that image with the identical hash shows up then they know that this is one of the images that's on the CSAM database and it is a forbidden image. And so, yes, they are going to be able to tell that not what image it is. Like they don't know what you looked at. They just know that you looked at an image that's on that database. Mm -hmm. What could possibly go wrong? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that, I mean, but that's the art, but that remember, that's how this conversation started because the idea is, is that, you know, whether it's a computer, an iPhone, an iPad, whatever it is, you click on things you regret. That's true. But let's be fair. Facebook, Microsoft, and Google already have tech in place that scan this kind of material, this exact kind of material, whether it's shared over email or on their messaging platforms, and they provide that information to the government. So this isn't so much should Apple do it or not do it. This is Apple has been very loud and very proud about, about not privacy, doing, about the not privacy doing, of their use. Right. And here they're saying, yeah, okay, this is a good cause. Let's go. And again, they're not looking at the images on your phone. They're looking to see if an image matches the neural hash that uh, of a of an image that well, clears it up is known to be uh, harmful to children. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? <sighs> it's noble. That's all I can say is it's noble. Um, so what if a government somewhere in the world outlaws homosexuality and demands that that content be monitored? There are governments in the world that do that. Now, certainly we don't want to see sex trafficking. We don't want to see uh, uh, kids that are, you know, we don't want to see any child pornography. Does Apple have to come into an agreement with said government? Uh, That's the difference. You see, you, you know what I'm saying? So like if, if, if country X, if you want to go to, 
country X outlaws homosexuality, Apple can say, well, you can't use our our program like that. You can't you, you can't do that. Apple is so, granting. I thought the story was Apple is granting the U.S. access to its system for these images. What it's doing is it is for it on behalf of the authorities. They are scanning for hashes that let you that identify this content on people's devices. Now, look, the EFF already understands. There's the Electronic Frontier Foundation. They're that's not big. that's not EF Hutton. No, EFF is no very different. The EFF is uh, a foundation that's dedicated to. Um, you know, the, 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 what they would call best practices in modern communication, if you will. Um, they are, uh, they're a good, they're a good group to follow if you're interested in all things, literally all things privacy. And they believe that this is a very narrow, but, but very clear backdoor to the Apple ecosystem. And as we've discussed, any backdoor is problematic. And of course, they're concerned about whether it's right or wrong, they're concerned about mission creep, right? Like at some point, okay, well, the give them an inch, they'll take a mile, right? So what does it take to widen or, or to, to open up that backdoor a little bit wider? Is this, an, you know, what are the expansion mechanisms and what, what are you going to flag and what are you going to scan? So now it's, now it's, you know, accounts looking for child pornography. What else are they going to look for? And how else are they going to look for it? And once a government knows that Apple can do this, so their, their defense has always been, we can't do it. It's so encrypted. We can't, we don't even know. That's always been their defense. But look, AI technology is getting better and pattern matching. You know, we always expect cryptography to be uncrackable in our science, right? When you look at a, SHA-256 hash, or you look at um, PGP, pretty good privacy, the 4,096-bit encryption, and someone will say something like, mathematically, that will take, you know, 6.4 billion years for modern computers to crack. It's basically safe. It's like, okay, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not true. I don't know what the state of a modern computer is, a supercomputer in the hands of the NSA. I don't know what they can and can't do. But but let's pretend the following, and I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist. I'm just saying you can't, you and I don't know what the state of modern computer computational power is with respect to decrypting of things that we believe are safely encrypted. Correct. But what you surely know is that the speed with which AI is improving, and we know that there are projects, no, because they've said it. You don't have to, I'm not making this up. I'm not faking it. You go online. There are press releases from Google and Facebook and Microsoft where their engineering teams are trying to figure out from hashed encrypted files, what the files say. And, and that you're not cracking the code there. You're finding a pattern in the hash that allows you to understand the gist of what's in the file. Wow. Then why are we, that means the encryption is no longer a valid way to encrypt. If you study encryption, Seth, and this is sort of fun, there used to be a thing called a cross letter. Have you ever heard of that? No. Okay. This is super cool. Go online and just Google cross letter. You'll find some interesting examples. Paper was so expensive a zillion years ago, you know, back in the day, like, you know, we're talking now, um, 500 years ago, that people would write in two directions 
on mm. the piece of paper. Yes. Like, I have so that, I didn't so, know that's what so, it was called, but yes. So that, so that they could, um, you know, get the most out of the paper. Well, once people started doing fun with writing, right. It didn't take long for people to figure out, well, maybe I'll write with some invisible ink. Maybe I'll write in code. Maybe I'll shorten the, like every schema you ever heard of was, was sort of put together in order to maximize the efficiency of the writing in the space. Right. So I want to condense the amount of characters that I use or condense the or, or get as much information into the space I have as possible. And then I want to encrypt it in some way to make it hard to read. So both of these things evolved simultaneously. Mm. So now we're, we live in a world now where we have AI that's going to do both of those things. We're going to compress these files as dramatically as possible to to make them as small as possible and easy to move as possible. And we're going to make them jumbled to the point of absolute unreadability mm. except that ai tools don't aren't human and they have the ability to to pattern match in ways that people don't and so that's what we're up against now so there's two things we have the technology barreling forward as fast as it can and then we've got the business rules or the laws and regulations saying yeah we really need to know what some of this stuff looks like for those of you who want to be conspiracy theorists this is this is government asking for a lot of control. And I've got two sides of the argument. Ready? Side one. Hey, this is private. It's mine. That's side one. Side two. How different is it from a wanted poster? If I got a wanted poster in the post office, the fact that I could search that by computer really quickly or that I can use a security camera to find you, I could use a drone flying over a crowd in Times Square to identify you. Yep. Why, why is that different from a policeman holding a piece of paper that he got out of the post office that has your picture on it? They've had wanted posters since people hand sketched them in the wild, wild west. You know, in the 1840s and 50s, there were wanted posters in post offices. So why can't I have the modern equivalent of that? And the answer is there are apparently there are reasons. There are jurisdictions. San Francisco won't allow law enforcement to use security cameras and pattern matching tools. Right. right? There's a whole bunch of uh, municipalities that, are, that have outlawed that. But I, that seems like you're talking about. And then but then they want to scan my iPhone. It's like, hold whoa, whoa, wait, what? It's just inconsistent. That that's the bottom line. It's it, it's inconsistent in that you're talking about a company that has the technology that can search, you know, tons and tons of data with AI instantly, mm-hmm. and markets Max as being purple. Yeah, yeah. like it, it's just amazing. The it's just what Apple's depth is 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 fascinating because it, the, the, and and if you think about it. You know, with all these things happening, remember, we talked about Max a long time ago and how what I don't understand about Max is if you have an iCloud account with, a, you know, a phone and an iPad, every time you boot up that Mac, it is downloading everything from your iCloud and it lags because of that. Mm-hmm. And yet think about all the stuff it's doing in, in behind the scenes that you don't even know it's doing. Oh, well, Seth, if we want to get into that, you know, there's. <laughs> OneDrive does the same thing and Google Drive sure. does the same thing, syncing up your Google account across everything. Look, you've given them rights to all of your data. That's what you've done and how they use it. You hope it's responsibly. This is what a central authority is. This, this is the idea. Facebook is a central authority. Google is a central authority. Apple is a central authority. We are trusting them to be good stewards of our data and good stewards of our information. We hope they will be. We do. Um, we have no way to know whether that's going to be true or not. We just don't have a way to know. 
That's a lot of what the impetus is behind Web 3.0 and the idea of decentralized right. data. And, uh, you know, is that, is that, ah, is that going to really solve the problem? Maybe not. I mean, maybe it's not going to solve the problem. One of the things we have to deal with as a society is what, what do we really want to keep private and what do we understand will be public? And this probably is a great opportunity for you and I to discuss or this, this one little, I'm going to say approach, if you will, mm -hmm. to getting this done. In the old days, when you kept books and records of a company, there's that um, great sort of visual from the play A Christmas Carol and Bob Cratchit, Mm -hmm. right works for Ebenezer Scrooge and what is he he's a clerk or a clerk yep. and he he's wearing garters on his arms and the sleeves are rolled up and there are there are no pencils and no erasers everything in the accounting world the double entry accounting world is done in pen and there's debits and credits and you don't ever erase anything you do a reversing entry so there's a record of everything always and at the end of the night Ebenezer Scrooge would walk into the room and he would take the books of the company and he would put them in a safe and lock the safe and send everybody, make sure no one took anything with them, that no one had copied anything to take out of there, right? And send them home. And nothing up my sleeves, right? They were basically searched every day when they left. And then when they came in, then Scrooge would come in and he would undo the safe and he would put the books on their, on their desks and they would, they would keep the books and records of the company. Fast forward a few hundred years and the executives are saying, well, we want people to be able to transact online. And so we need to be able to get to the books and records of the company every day. Uh, on the World Wide Web and on the internet. And we need to have some of this be open, but it still needs to be completely and totally secure. So IT people work this out. I need everyone to be able to see everything all the time, but I also need it completely secure. Hmm, that's a little problematic. So at the end of the day, we now live in a world where certain things are always going to be exposed. Certain things are exposable, but we need to be able to decide, you and I, what is really private? What is so private that you would take it offline You'd put it on either a piece of paper or a jump drive. And overnight, rather than store it online, it's so important to you that you would put it in a safe, a fireproof safe in your house, and maybe have two copies of it, one in the fireproof safe and one in a different fireproof safe in a different location. What data is so important to you that you would secure it that way? What data is so important that you'd secure it, but like if it really, some of it got out, it wouldn't bother you that much. And what do you just expect to see on, on the front page of, of a newspaper or being plastered all over Twitter or Facebook and someone who's gotten into your account, right? Well, something so, incriminating and, uh, you know, overseas bank accounts. Yeah, I was, or, or, or your, your cryptocurrency keys right? Where you don't want anyone stealing your crypto or the passwords to your uh, JP Morgan Chase account or your stock accounts. It doesn't have to be nefarious. It could just be stuff you just don't want. Let's say, you know, Seth, we're getting into the world of crypto currency now where people are having offline wallets. And if you're the only person with access to your offline wallet and you take a million dollars and you put it in crypto completely legally, know your customer, all that other stuff, and you drop dead of a heart attack and no one has the key to your digital wallet, no one's ever getting that crypto. So you need to put it in a place where it's secure, but other people have access and no, like there are levels of security that we have not really dealt with as normal people because we just assume the central authority, Google, my password means something, Facebook, my password means something. And Apple has gone out of their way to tell me that my two-factor authentic authentication on my Apple device is really meaningful, that that data is mine. Right. 
And we just learned last week, well, maybe most of it's yours. <laughs> hey, what's that? So there, there are bigger questions we have to ask ourselves. And I don't think most of us, myself included, by the way, I'm not like living in a glass house and throwing a stone. I'm saying me too. Like I've got my crypto stuff pretty handled and I've got my bank passwords pretty handled, but I've, and I've got an encrypted And you file. back all your stuff up on the cloud. I on, have a couple. On of, a cloud. That's many not, clouds. Right. Many clouds, not one. I have to say that I would not trust any one cloud provider. And I also image my hard drives at night on the hard drives that matter. Right. But, but understand that not all the data gets treated that way because it's too timely, too cost. It's cost prohibitive and cumbersome. Like I've got client files from 15 years ago. Yeah, they're backed up, but they're not. I mean, they're kind of expired files. They're around for reference in case, you know, because they're institutional memory and you want to know, hey, did you ever work for so-and-so? And if so, what did you do for them? So sure, you want the case study around for the current workers who weren't here 15 years ago, but I don't, I don't need it's not that it needs to be that seriously protected. It's backed up, but it's not crazy backed up. But you had better bet everything you know that the current financials of the organization, all of our crypto holdings, 100% of the current tax year data and the last, you know, whatever it is, six years tax, like all that's stored 99 ways to Sunday yeah. everywhere. And there are, look, that's the job of business continuity software. That's the job of, of you know, a good IT backup plan. But I, I, I really feel like, most of us are not are not ready for Apple and Google and Facebook to hand all of our information over to the government just because they asked for it. And I, I, it's not about having nefarious stuff like this. This idea of child pornography is an easy one because no one should do that. So there's sure. moral high ground, right? You just say, wait a minute, that's yeah, that is societally unacceptable. Therefore, it's okay. The problem is that a one and a zero look the same no matter what they represent. So a bit and a byte to a computer is the same. A network to an engineer is the same. Right. And so whether that file is uh, the movie A Christmas Carol, whether that file is uh, Mel Torme's A Christmas Song, or whether that file is a, a picture or a video of something that is considered unacceptable and illegal, the computer has no idea. And in fact, Apple has no idea. They're looking at a hash. Right. They're looking at a hash oh, and saying, it. oh, yeah. So and yeah, there's and apparently there's very low chance that they would make a mistake, which is comforting in one respect and terrifying in another. No, it, it's important. And I think this is an important episode. Um, I still haven't told you the Palm Pre story. though. Go tell me. All right. My first smartphone was a Palm Pre, not an iPhone. I was reticent for the iPhone. And why? Because Macs suck and PCs are better. And I've always believed that for 20 years. And I was working for Sirius XM and Kevin Millar, the uh, former Red Sox great, mm -hmm. was uh, a weekly guest on our show. He was still playing at the time. And I would wax poetic. People would be like, why haven't you gotten the iPhone yet? The iPhone's the greatest. Why don't you get the iPhone? And I said, no, I'm sticking with the Palm Pre. And all of a sudden, uh, Kevin Millar, we, we lost his call. Like one time they were in a clubhouse, we lost his call. And he said, I, I'm sorry, guys, I'm back. It's this Palm Pre. I'm staying loyal. I'm st and I go, oh, my God, you like the Palm Pre too? Well, Sirius mm. XM has a lot of transient listeners, like truckers and people who travel a lot. Baseball players are one of them. 
Yeah. Jeff Nelson, former Seattle Mariner, New York Yankee, offers to take my Palm pre, throw it as hard as he can. At the time, he could throw 93 into a brick wall. We were going to film it. Mike Cameron hears Jeff Nelson say that. And Mike Cameron says, I will get into a box and try to smash your Palm pre with a baseball bat. And we were going to film it for promotional purposes. Yeah. The exorcism, the exorcism. So Jeff Nelson, (laughs) he lobs it in. Mike Cameron takes a shot. And for a guy who struck out a lot, he made contact with this thing. And my Palm Prix was in about 7,000 pieces. And Kevin Millar thought what we were doing was blasphemy. He stayed loyal to the Palm Prix to now he works for MLB Network. And I tease him anytime I see him and I'll say, did you get the iPhone yet? We're on iPhone 12. Did you did you eventually buy buy the but no, we crushed a palm print. And this was pre YouTube. So yeah. like YouTube wasn't a thing that would have been hysterical. By the way, the palm pilot was amazing. The palm pre not as much. The palm pre didn't make me as happy. Um, I'm just saying it was uh, but I was a Palm guy for a minute, you know, when, when it was cool. But then when the Blackberry happened, that was my thing. I think my favorite, was it the Palm 5X that had that little kind of had big hips and uh, it, it sort of sp- it splayed out at the bottom. It was black and white and it was, or I should say green and black, right? Because it had a, had a green green LED screen on it. I love that thing. The Palm 5 <laughs> was cool. And then there was the, I think after that, there was the tungsten came after that. It had a little jog wheel on it, which was really fun. And a little like a joystick on it. That was fun. Yes, I remember uh, that. They, 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 they did a good job with, with that. And then they tried to go after Blackberry with the trio, the Palm trio. Remember those the trio? Yep. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I could, I have, there's a graveyard of this stuff here in my, you have it. I'm sure one of those panoramic shots of, of going through the year. That'd be I'm, awesome. I'm yeah. Somewhere in the, in the, in the smartphone graveyard here is uh, that and about and every Blackberry probably ever made and every iPhone. I, I, I bought some artwork. Some guy was doing this stuff on Facebook and they, the exploded iPhone, the exploded Blackberries. I, I got them like on the wall. I have like six of those. I love them. They're awesome. The Just epilogue, at- by the way, of the Palm Priest story, as we put a bow on this uh, edition of TechStream, is every time I tell that story, someone on Twitter, no doubt, will then say, why is every player you ever mentioned retired? It's because I'm old. Yeah, why? Well, it's because oh, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> why? Also, because because- my stories are old. <laughs> no, well, also, I, I think, Seth, it would be fair to say that you despise the current game of baseball and all things oh, well, about it. So, so I, I mean, if I was going to objectively say why you don't mention players that aren't retired, it's that yeah, because I think all they a, do is strike out. None of them know how to make con- contact anymore. And I, I think that, you know, that probably makes you sad. I watched Field of Dreams last night on regular on MLB just because oh, yeah. it was on. And, you know, I kept and they were the commercials just really pissed me off. But I got to say, Every time I see that movie, and I haven't seen it in about a year, every time I see that movie, it just makes me smile. What an amazing movie. What, when baseball was that important to everybody? So we, we were in uh, Saugerties this weekend, and we stayed at a hotel. Not a 
nothing. I'm, I'm not naming the hotel because uh, it's, it's nothing against them. All hotels do this. And for the first time, I brought my Apple TV because when we got back to the hotel that night after a really long day, we'd rather watch Netflix than anything on the hotel cable system. Makes sense. Yeah. Try. You know how when you have to find hotel Wi-Fi, there's a pop up that pops up that asks uh-huh. you to enter your room number. How do you do that on Apple TV? It's harder than you think. It is much harder than you think. And on top of that, that's very anti Apple. Don't make something that hard. Your yeah. Apple TV devices are so small, they fit into a glove compartment. But yet, connecting to Wi Fi, it's like literally cracking a coat. I'll tell you what, we are going to have to have a little convo, you and I, uh, on one of the next episodes. How, what's happened? to the pricing of things like Google TV and Roku now and what it is to get broadcast television and is it worth it? And I tell you what, I was up in Connecticut this weekend and tried to watch uh, YouTube TV and mm-hmm. it started giving me grief about where I was. It's like, right. hey, it you're not- It changed your not, channels. It changed- You're not, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, hey, man, I don't want to watch Connecticut NBC. Right. No offense to the people in Hartford. <laughs> I want to watch that. WNBC. Right. What are you doing? It's very different. Yeah, you never you it never tortured me that way before, and now all of a sudden it's like it just say, "Are you on vacation?" Or you, it's like, "Hey man, leave me alone." Yeah, pre-COVID, I would go up to Boston for a work work event, and I'd flip on Hulu Live, and it would suddenly show me the Celtics, and I'm thinking to myself, "What's happened here?" But yes, that's that's part of the thing. All right, there's still so much we can do. All I can say is, if your images aren't, if you don't like the images on your phone, or you think someone else might. You should delete those anyway. How about that? Delete them anyway, regardless of whether or not they're coming to get you. And Shelly Palmer, I'm Seth Everett. We'll see you next week on Tech Stream.